Today on Blue 58, the Packers are close enough to being a quarter of the way through their schedule that it's worth taking a bit of a pause and seeing what we've got in this year's team. What's good about them? What's maybe not so good? There's plenty on both sides. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We're going to start off with a little bit of roster talk and then get into an analysis of the Packers through through quarter number one of the NFL season. And it's not quite a quarter anymore because of the 17th game, but you get what we're saying here. Basically, we're a quarter of the way through. Roster stuff, though. Catching up on one thing from last week, the Packers signed cornerback, defensive back, kick returner type guy, Corey Ballantyne, to the practice squad. He is an elite talent with more or less about two seasons worth of NFL experience. Had a 9.36 relative athletic score coming out of Washburn in 2019, was a sixth round pick for the New York Giants, 5'11", 196 pounds, ended up playing 22 games with the Giants between 2019 and 2020. Played six games with the Jets in 2020 and another four with the Lions in 2021. He also spent some time as a member of the Atlanta Falcons and Arizona Cardinals in 2022, though no games on the 53-man roster. Since leaving the Giants, he's primarily been a kick returner and special teams guy in his career. He did play on defense a little bit in 2019 and 2020, 298 snaps in 19, 107 in 2020 for the Giants. And he has not played a snap on defense other than that so far, or very, very little, I should say. As a kick returner, though, he's been pretty good. He has 35 career kick returns for an average of 24.4 yards, and for no reason at all, absolutely no reason at all, I will mention that Amari Rogers has a career average of 18.9 yards per return on 16 career kickoff returns. If nothing else, Valentine seems like an elite athlete. We'll see what kind of opportunities he gets in Green Bay. Also happening this very day, the Green Bay Packers signed linebacker Eric Wilson from the New Orleans Saints practice squad to their 53-man roster. He takes Caleb Jones' spot on the roster after Jones went on the non-football injury list. Wilson is six foot one and 230 pounds. He started his college career at Northwestern, was actually teammates with Dean Lowry for the 2012 season, but then transferred to Cincinnati after redshirting for that 2012 season at Northwestern, sat out 2013 according to the transfer rules of the time, and was second team all-conference for Cincinnati in 2015. He posted a 9.68 relative athletic score at Cincinnati's Pro Day in 2017, was undrafted in the 2017 NFL Draft, but ended up signing with the Vikings and doing quite well for himself over the next few years. He played for the Vikings from 2017 through 2020, 64 games, all possible games in that stretch. He played 280 tackles, three interceptions, eight sacks, not too shabby. If you saw him as a member of the Vikings, it would probably have been during the Packers' 23-10 win over the Vikings in 2019. He had seven tackles in that game. Wilson has played a lot on special teams. Just in his time with the Vikings, he spent, or he played 956 snaps on special teams over four seasons. Much the same uh, for the Eagles and Texans in 2021. He played 14 games for those two teams a lot of time on special teams as well. As I mentioned, he had been on the Saints practice squad this year and was out with them in London last week. And boy, that would be a wild couple of weeks 
either he stayed in London, which is unlikely, or he went to New Orleans with the, the team, was there, came back, was signed to the Packers to the Packers active roster from New Orleans, and now is going to be heading back to London. That's a lot of travel, even if you like traveling. And you don't get the impression that these NFL players really love going to London. Back-to-back weeks is a lot. Final roster thing we should make a note of, just because we are entering an important window here, comes via a question from the Jet Sweep guy in our Discord server. He asks, what are the rules or deadlines around Kylan Hill's return? Do you expect to see him activated in the next few weeks? So Kylan Hill, in case you forgot, had been on the physically unable to perform list since the start of training camp. He tore his ACL the same day that Robert Tunyon tore his in that Thursday night matchup against the Arizona Cardinals last year that, of course, ended with Rasul Douglas uh, intercepting the pass on the final play of the game. Well, not on the final play of the game, on what turned out to be the final play of the game for the Cardinals, I guess, uh, because they threw the interception in the end zone. Uh, But both Hill and Tunyon tore their ACLs in that game. Hill has taken a little bit longer, a little bit more of a typical timeline for him, I should say. Tunyon was ahead of the curve, as was Elton Jenkins. Hill taking a little bit longer, but that's okay. It's not a big deal. Every ACL injury is a little bit different. Let me answer the second part of the question here first. Do I expect to see him activated in the next few weeks? It seems, judging by his social media posts, that something could be coming soon. I'm not holding my breath. Expectation-wise, the answer would probably just be no, just because they are going to want to give him as much time as they can. But how it works um, is pretty simple. It's a three-step process for going on and coming off of the physically unable to perform list. So you get put on the list. And if you're on the physically unable to perform list before, if you're put on that list before roster cutdowns in training camp, you have to be out for at least four weeks. So that's the first part. We're through four weeks, so Hill is through that big hurdle. During that window, he could be in meetings but could not practice because he is physically unable to perform. Makes sense. Once that four-week window passes, though, you can move him off the physically unable to perform list at any time. The Packers have not done that yet. When they do, that's step two, you've got a 21-day window where you can practice, but you don't count against the 53-man roster limit. That's step three. After those 21 days pass, during which you can be put on the 53 at any time, after those 21 days pass, you either have to be put onto the 53 or put on injured reserve. And I don't think you can say, okay, we're going to put him on injured reserve, but we're going to designate him to return. I think that is, if it's not explicitly against the rules, it's against the spirit of the rules. They want you to be out for the season if you get to that point. After at least four weeks of being on the pup list, 21 weeks, of, or 21 days of practicing, if you're going to be out for seven weeks and then back on injured reserve, I think they're just saying, you, you just got to shut it down. You can't go. So we are at currently step two. The next thing the Packers need to do is activate him, not activate him, take him off the pup list, at which point he can start practicing, which is step three. So I guess technically a fourth step, he'll be able to be added to the 53-man roster. I would expect him to be on the 53 at some point. I don't think it'll be a situation where they start him up and then shut him down again in part because I don't think the Packers have another running back they like quite as much as Kylan Hill. And I think he offers them a little bit more in terms of of doing all of the stuff. Well, I don't ever, I feel like we keep circling back to these situations where we compare everyone to Amari Rogers. I made kind of a tongue in cheek there, uh, thing there about Corey Ballantyne and his, um, his 
career kickoff return average, which is fine if you read between the lines there. But um, Rodgers had been effectively the Packers' third string running back for a couple of weeks, and they signed him or they signed Patrick Taylor to the 53. When Kylan Hill comes back, he's going to take over that role. And I was about to say it's probably because they, you know, he does the things that Kyle, that Amari Rodgers does better than Amari Rodgers. He's a better kickoff returner. He's better as a third string running back. It's not a commentary on Amari Rodgers. They just like Kylan Hill. It doesn't have to be about one guy versus another guy necessarily. So I think he will end up in the 53-man roster at some point because they want him to be there. He's a good player. He's a good athlete, good tester, all of those things. And he has a valuable skill set for what the Packers need. So they're going to want him to end up on the 53 at some point, and they're going to try to make that happen. That's our roster discussion. We're going to do an analysis of the Packers through four weeks. But first, I want to give shout-outs to three Patreon supporters, Max, Timothy Rohner, and Caden Meaden. M-I-E-D-E-N. I hope I'm seeing your name right there, Caden. If I'm, I'm not, I apologize. I appreciate your Patreon support uh, nonetheless, even if I'm saying your name incorrectly, because you and all of the people who support us there are a key part of helping this podcast keep running. It is not free to run a podcast. Uh, we've got a bunch of costs just to get the show to you. We want to do things like equipment upgrades. We want to do things like providing prizes for our um, our contests that we run. All of that takes stuff to fund, and uh, you are a big part of providing that. And you are the only part of providing that because we don't run ads. These are the only ads you're ever going to hear. If you even call them that, more of a thank you. But we could run ads. We just choose not to because we think it uh, detracts from the listener experience. So if you want to help us continue to do that, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Contribute any amount per month that you like, and uh, you will help us continue to help this show be ad-free because we think that is the way to be, if you will pardon the rhyming quasi-pun there. Um, we really appreciate your support. I really appreciate everybody who takes the time to go through the process of setting up that support. And uh, I, I'm just really grateful for everyone who who goes that route and, and helps us keep this show going in the form that we do it. So if that is uh, something you've, you'd be willing to consider, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep and chip in your your contribution today. I would very much appreciate it. Okay. The story so far on the 2022 Green Bay Packers. I like to do something called a SWOT analysis at least once a year for the Packers. We'll probably do it after the first quarter and third quarter of the 2022 Packers season. What is a SWOT analysis? SWOT, if you're not, haven't ever been a business major at any point or just haven't hung around people who are, um, a SWOT analysis is, it's an acronym. SWOT stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And usually you, you run a SWOT analysis as you're taking on a business idea or looking at a plan or something. What are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats when it comes to that particular plan? And I found that to be a, a useful framework for looking at the Green Bay Packers. So I thought we would talk through that here, putting it in business terms. Again, we are through, we're through Q1. So what's our Q1 SWOT analysis of the, the 2022 Green Bay Packers if we really want to put on our business hats and think, think about them in this market of football teams? What, is their, what are their strengths, weaknesses, the opportunities they have, and the threats they have to them being the best team that they can be? There are strengths on this team, and that's, that's one of the things I like about doing an analysis this way is because you do have a, a chance or a, a built-in way to talk about the positives. And I think too often – 
we we skew on the negative because people look at the the weaknesses on a team and say that's going to be the thing that knocks us out of the playoffs again and they may very well be right but just given the way that things go in the playoffs sometimes sometimes it's your strengths that went out too and there are strengths on this Packers team and i think it starts with the defense generally speaking the defense has been very good this year scores of 23 10 12 and 24 points allowed i mean that's pretty darn good uh, a couple cheapies in there too, if you consider that seven points came from uh, a pick six by Aaron Rodgers this past week. Overall, that's a pretty darn good scoring defense just on that front. They're also excellent on third downs. Through four weeks, they haven't allowed a third down conversion of more than eight yards. That's pretty impressive. The pass defense generally has been good. The edge rushers have been phenomenal. Kenny Clark has been excellent. The defense is a real strength. Hasn't been perfect, but it's been a real strength. Elsewhere on the team, I think you have to look at their rushing offense as a real strength too. Aaron Jones has been exceptional. A.J. Dillon has been a nice complimentary piece, though you might ask for a little bit more from him. He was really good down the stretch against the Patriots, really pounding away in overtime that last drive. He had a couple key carries setting up the game-winning field goal. Hey, you, you really like that. It's a, it's a really good unit. And I think also special teams you have to consider a strength too. If only because things have just been so smooth. They haven't really had any bumps in the road so far. No mishandled snaps on field goals. No blocked punts. No blocked field goals. No huge returns really given up in in any phase, any return phase, kick return or punt return. It's been good. So you got a strong defense overall, a strong rushing offense, and a solid special team. Those are three considerable strengths on this 2022 Packers team. There are, however, weaknesses too. And when I look at the weaknesses on this team, it starts for me with the offensive line. You've got two main areas of weakness on that offensive line. First, just uncertainty about who's going to play where. And then the uncertainty that comes with injury recovery. Is anybody going to be okay? You know, again, you've had some uncertainty with with both David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins on that front, though they are both making strides towards becoming fully healthy. And I will repeat again what I said after the Patriots game. You, it may just take a little bit of time for Elton Jenkins here. Like we need to be patient with him as he comes back from a serious knee injury. He's ahead of the curve, sure, but it still might take him a little while to get his, his legs under him. He hasn't been perfect so far, but it's a work in progress. Still, though, that means that the offensive line overall, I think, has been a bit of a weakness for this Packers team. You also, it just doesn't seem like with, with those injury questions there, have a good idea what you're going to get from one week to the next. Are we going to get the good offensive line this week? Are we going to get the one where there's some some more questions? You don't really know. And uh, that is a big problem for the Packers, the one that they're really going to have to sort out here in in the, the middle portion of the season as things continue to go on this year. Flipping over to the other side of the ball, the Packers' run defense has been a big, big problem against better teams, just because of their run defense, they're probably one and three. Had their defense not been so excellent in other phases against Tom Brady, the 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 Buccaneers run defense, well, I guess their run defense in particular was good that game. So that, that's the, the one where they really needed it. Had they not been good against Leonard Fournette, Tom Brady probably wins that game for the Buccaneers because he, he showed that he could move the ball late. The Patriots had no problem moving the ball on the ground, and I know it's a strength for them, but they still 
were able to move the ball down the field pretty easily. Just to distill it down to the finest possible point, the Packers are giving up five yards a carry on defense, on the ground. That's just not good enough. It's it's just not cutting it for this team. And it's going to cost them again if they can't get it sorted out in the long term. How do you get that sorted out? Well, we'll talk about a little bit in the threats portion of this analysis, one one aspect of this, but Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker have to play a little bit better against the run, and they need more help on the defensive line. Um, if you're looking for a potential trade target or a guy who might get released, I, I don't think this is super likely like a release release, but a guy who might be looking to finagle his way out of a situation. Quinnen Williams has said some, aired some grievances in New York. Pairing him with Kenny Clark wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. I don't know if he fixes all of your run defense problems, but adding more talent on the defensive line should be a priority for the Packers, regardless of whether it's a guy that I just, you know, mentioned offhandedly or, or somebody else. They need help up front. They need help against the run for Kenny Clark. That actually dovetails pretty well into the opportunities segment of this analysis, too. Because when you talk about opportunities on this football team, I think what you're really looking at is growth. Where are the Packers likely, or I guess maybe able to grow, between now and the end of the season? Where are we going to see meaningful improvement on this team in in a way that is that is going to bolster the overall strength of the squad? two areas jump out at me. And to just kind of piggyback off what we were saying, I think you have to start at the defensive line and you've got to talk about Devontae Wyatt. Now, Wyatt wasn't great in the preseason and he hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities so far in the regular season. 14 snaps over four weeks is not great. It's not a great look for a first round pick, but he was a first round pick for a reason. And he is a better athlete than Jaron Reed and he's got a higher upside than Dean Lowry. And I would have to think he's probably more stout against the run than either Lowry or Reed, even now in his NFL career. That is an opportunity where the Packers can add some talent just by virtue of the fact that Wyatt hasn't played very much so far. I think even if the floor isn't where Reed or Lowry is right now, the ceiling is higher than both of them for Wyatt. And allowing him to work and try to get up to that ceiling or closer to that ceiling in season is an opportunity the Packers need to explore over these next few weeks as they're playing some weaker teams preparing for that game against the Bills. There's also a huge growth opportunity uh, in the form of Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson continuing to figure out what it takes to be an NFL receiver. It's a process with every rookie. It takes them time to figure things out. And you saw even that with with Romeo Dobbs at times on Sunday. He had another solid game. His touchdown catch was was excellent. Veteran adjustment uh, on the ball in the air there. Connecting with Aaron Rodgers on a back shoulder throw there. Something that Rodgers said that, um, you know, was was a check that they had installed in training camp. Dobbs is ready for it. And he makes the play, gets into the end zone, and scores. But we also saw a couple not-so-great plays from Dobbs. The drop in the end zone uh, would have put the Packers over 30 points for the game, would have won the game for him in regulation, 
Uh, it's a catch he's got to make because the, the ball was right there, and lesser players have made that catch. Geronimo Allison had no problem making that catch in the Packers' uh, 2018 season opener um, against against those Chicago Bears. If Geronimo Allison can do it, a higher degree of difficulty probably, given the, the presence of, of Kyle Fuller there on that particular play. If, if Geronimo Allison can do that, Romeo Dobbs should be able to do pretty much the same thing. Christian Watson, too, has been coming along slowly. And I think and this is maybe just a me thing, but I doubt it. I think people have forgotten a little bit that he missed all of training camp. Things have come along pretty slow for Christian Watson during this first quarter. But this is also the first four quarters of NFL football, or the first four games of NFL football he's he's ever played. And he missed a game in there, too, because of an injury. It's, if it takes him a little while to get up to speed, that's part of the reason why. He's just figuring out what it takes to play NFL football right now. Both he and Dobbs represent growth opportunities for the Packers offense. And heck, if you want to throw one more in there, think about the the way that Robert Tunyon could continue to contribute more for this Packers team. His seam route touchdown looked like vintage Tunyon, 2020 Robert Tunyon there. As the Packers get stronger on the offensive line, I have to think that he's going to get more opportunities in in the passing game because you know Aaron Rodgers wants to get him the ball, and we've seen this season what he can do with the ball in his hands. That, too, is a growth opportunity. So three pass catchers with, with big upside on the Packers' offense and a defensive lineman who deserves at least a shot because how much worse can he be than the guys in front of him, especially considering that he's probably got a higher ceiling. To close it out, What about threats to this Packers team? Injuries are a looming threat to every NFL team, and the Packers certainly are no different there. But I think we saw Sunday how vulnerable this team is to injuries at key spots. We talked months ago now about guys the Packers could least afford to lose, and Adrian Amos was right there up at the the top of that list. The Packers were in a situation on Sunday where they had to turn to Rudy Ford to hold things down in the secondary. And I do owe a bit of a mea culpa to Rudy Ford. I thought he wasn't going to grade out particularly well. I saw a couple of what I thought were, were not great plays, but you'd look at the PFF data and they think he had a much better game. Take that for whatever it's worth, but he graded out really well. Their second best graded defender in that particular game. The point overall still stands, though. The Packers are vulnerable at safety. Though he may have done pretty well against Bailey Zappi, a third-string quarterback for the Patriots, do you really want to go through the rest of the season with Rudy Ford as your third safety? Or if Adrian Amos is injured and misses an extended amount of time, one of your starting safeties? I don't think so. I don't think anybody would want that. I And I don't know NFL player, players believe in themselves, but I'm not sure Rudy Ford would want that. That's not his game. It hasn't been to this point in his career. Maybe he thinks he can be a starting caliber safety in the NFL. He probably does, and more power to him if he does. I don't want to what a detract from that for sure. But, I mean, that's not a winning recipe for the Packers in the secondary because he really hasn't shown to this point in his career that he can be a starting caliber safety in the NFL. I mean, he couldn't do it for the Jacksonville Jaguars. What That's <laughs> some pretty strong evidence against your, your aspirations towards being a starting caliber player in the NFL. Sure, the Jaguars are much better this year. They're playing much better. But if you couldn't crack the rotation when they were terrible, what does that say about you? Ford couldn't. 
has been great at, at other things, was excellent on special teams, has been excellent on special teams in Green Bay. I don't think you want Rudy Ford as one of your starting safeties. And so the Packers have some serious vulnerabilities when it comes to injuries. Edge rusher. Oh, let's throw offensive line out there again. We've seen problems there uh, as, as it pertains to the health of the offense as a whole. Injuries are a serious threat to this Packers team. But I think there's another one. And I think that other big threat to the Packers is just simple regression. We talked about Aaron Rodgers not playing well in the season as a whole after the Patriots game. There's certainly a chance that he is regressing as a player just due to age. I'm not super concerned about that just yet just because he's so far below where he'd been in his career to date. I think it's more a a confluence of other circumstances and and conditions on this Packers team that have contributed to him not being as as good as he's been in the past or performing at the level that we've seen him do in, in the past. Still worth monitoring, though, as as a possible regression candidate. But we did talk in the preseason about a potential Devondre Campbell regression and what that would mean for the Packers' defense. The short answer is that it wouldn't be good And uh, it looks like there may be something along those lines happening, at least through the first four games of the season. He's missed six tackles so far this year, according to Pro Football Focus. They had him for four all of last year. His missed tackle rate is currently on track to be the highest of his career. 14.9% of his tackle opportunities are going by the boards. That is, again, the worst of his career. And he's facing the worst tackle grade of his career from Pro Football Focus as well. On the one hand, it may just be a streak of suboptimal games. On the other hand, if Devondre Campbell is regressing, that would mean a bigger role for Quay Walker or potential bigger roles for other people further down the depth chart. Speeding Quay Walker along isn't necessarily a bad thing, but turning to that linebacker depth chart is something you'd probably rather not do. So those are my strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats for this 2022 Green Bay Packers team through the first quarter of the season. Over the next quarter, the next four weeks, I think we're going to get a good look at how the Packers try to iron out some of those weaknesses and shore up some of those strengths um, to, to build on them. They have three very winnable games over the next three weeks. And then the Buffalo Bills loom. The Packers could be a very different team by then for a lot of different reasons. They could be better. They could have sorted out a bunch of these things. They could be worse. They could face another injury or two. They could continue to get worse among the guys who aren't playing as well as they did last year. The Bills could have the very same thing happen. Josh Allen could walk outside tomorrow and get hit by a meteorite or something like that. You never know. Uh, What a wild story that would be for the 2022 NFL season. The point is the Packers need to continue to build. And that has really been the point I've tried to get across these these last couple of episodes. The Packers are a work in progress. It's going to take a while for them to build to their final product this year. And that process of building is going to be what ultimately determines their, their season here. How they're able to fix things, if they're able to fix things, and who are the people doing the fixing, that's going to be what tells the tale of the 2022 Packers. And we'll all get to watch it play out together. And I'm interested, very interested to see how these things do, in fact, play out. That's all I've got for you on this episode. I appreciate you listening in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it as well. 
Uh, it's going to get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.